Welcome to Connect the Dots podcast, presented by Nine Dots and hosted by Jeffrey Klein. We share stories and explore their power to impact others. Our aim is to share some edutainment, to give some useful nuggets that can be applied to your business while also entertaining you. Thank you for listening. Here is your host, Jeffrey. My guest today is Michael Heppel, the international best-selling author of How to Be Brilliant, Five Star Service, Brilliant Life, and Flip It, How to Get the Best Out of Everything. Heppel's books have been translated into 22 languages, and as a professional speaker and personal life coach, he works with leading companies, individuals, and organizations around the world. His clients have included Coca-Cola, Microsoft, Oxford University, T-Mobile, QVC, Adidas, Mercedes-Benz, American Express, among many others. Michael Heppel is described as the cure for an average life and as one of the top three professional speakers in the world. Michael's company has the mission to positively influence one million lives. And I am a particular fan of his Twitter profile, which says he is a speaker, author, coach, presenter, father, husband, happy, and friend in no particular order. Welcome, Michael Heppel. Thank you very much for that very, very kind introduction, Jeffrey. It looks like you've read all the good bits about me. Well, and I've had the pleasure of seeing you present, and you are an incredible presenter. Well, thank you. So we're going to jump in. We basically have nine questions, and then I'm going to ask you to tell us a story. So here we go. Let's start with where were you born and what did your parents do for a living? So I was born in the north of England and a place called Consett, County Durham. And it was an old steel town. So we used to make steel there before the steelworks closed, as many places uh, that's happened because of the change in the world. And um, I was brought up by two wonderful parents. My father had his own roofing business and my mother was a health visitor. So basically a nurse who would work out visiting people uh, in their homes, young mums and older people. Excellent. So when you were growing up, who was a great storyteller for you? My mum. My mum is still a great storyteller. She does presentations all over the place. She's got a real great way of, of telling stories about real people. And she would often come in from work and she'd have met somebody that day, you know, a, a, a young parent who had a, a challenge and she would do the voices and she would describe the challenges that they had and everything, or uh, particularly old people. She'd meet some incredible old people who would have amazing stories and, and my mum would tell them in her own way. And now she still tells stories to these days she's been well she's been um, retired for quite a while but undoubtedly a brilliant brilliant storyteller and what do you think makes her such a good storyteller do you know it's enthusiasm so important you know not just relaying a story oh this happened to me today she'll say you'll never guess what happened very very good with her pauses you know she would put in these nice pauses just at the right moment just at the as you get into the peak of a, of a story or a, a little bit of interest she would do the voices with people she was very good at doing uh, mimicking and doing impersonations and i think that the the great thing was that once she once she holds an audience once she kind of gets the attention she 
It's not that, well, she must have an ego. Anybody who tells stories, they've got an ego. Why not? Um, but what she's really great at is just kind of holding that moment and then, and then getting over a key fact, something that you, would, that you would remember. But also, I think what makes somebody a great storyteller is they can, you can remember the story that they told, and then you can relay that. You can relay that story yourself because it was told in such a way that made it memorable. So she actually was telling this at your home in sort of a personal environment. Do you think it's important in business to be able to tell a compelling story? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's interesting. I, I'm seeing um, my neighbor tonight, and he is, has just started a new business. I mean, a really, really fantastic, exciting new business. And he's going to some meetings in London on Wednesday and Thursday with insurance companies. And he's really working out what technically he needs to know before he goes into these meetings. And I said, Gavin, it's not about the technical specification. You wouldn't have the business if you didn't know the technical side of things. You need to tell the story. And the story of this business is so exciting. It's so good. It, it could be a, you know, a global game changer. But it's not about you know saying, oh, we can affect X thousand people. We can save money on this. Where's the story? Where's the individual passion? Where's the individual aha moments that these people are going to get? And he's very kindly said he'll spend a couple of hours with me so I can help him to uh, to build up his business. Interesting. So he's he has a new business and he's going to try and tell these stories and you're kind of giving him some coaching about that. Do you think that being good at telling story is a skill that can be learned and developed? I, I, yes, but it's kind of one of those things where sometimes people are good at telling stories, they're good at communicating, and because they're good, they stop learning. I think that's a really interesting thing because there's, a, there's a, a lot of people who I see on the circuit of speaking. So very kindly as part of your introduction there, you described me as you know, one of the, the, the top three professional speakers in the world. I didn't give myself that title. You know, somebody who saw a lot of speakers, you know, from the, the Tony Robbins of the world, that type of things. He said, Michael, you are in the top three. I was like, wow, that's a, that's a nice thing to say. Um, and he said, you know, one of the things I love about you is you are always learning. And I am, you know, so I'm, I've just finished reading a, a yet another book about uh, presenting skills, yet another book about um, uh, telling stories. And what I, what I want to do is I want to hone it in such a way so that I can get the very, very best out of any presentation that I might do or any piece of coaching that I might do or any radio interview that I might do or anything like that. And it's, it, you can learn it, but to perfect it takes a lifetime. It's something I think a lot of people either aren't aware of the power of it, and then they're just not sure how to where to start with it. You know, how do you you know we tell stories in the in a personal sense, but when you try to apply it to their business, they find it you know overwhelming. Even though it's the easy th should be easy in the sense of we tell stories all the time. Yeah, well, that was how we started to communicate. It's the we all know the bit about people sitting around campfires, telling stories. Here's where you'll find a woolly mammoth. Here's an area to stay away from. Oh my goodness, I was chased for, you know, over over you know, ten miles or whatever the distance might be. And then when I got back and I caught it and I skinned it, and then the other tribes personally be saying, "Oh, it wasn't quite like that." He's <laughs> exaggerating, and we exaggerated at those times. So we probably exaggerate a little bit now. Do you think exaggeration is okay when you're telling a business story? Well, I think it's one of those things you have to make sure that if you are going to exaggerate, it's within context. Uh, there's a slight difference between exaggerating and telling a lie. And, um, you know, sometimes I'll hear people who will stand on stage and they will 
you know, have the moniker of number one best-selling author. And actually what it was is they were number one in one category on Amazon for two hours, one Wednesday afternoon, because all their mates bought the book. So it's kind of, I think there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, um, wow, I'm doing a great job. We managed to do this amazing turnaround with a particular organization. That stuff's fine. I think what's really important is that it fits the context of your audience and it helps them. It's not about ego. Leave the ego at home. Make it right for your audience. Definitely. Can you tell me a brand? You've worked with all these different brands. I'm wondering if you can think of a brand that really tells effective stories and what do you think makes them effective? Yeah, I, I was interesting because I, I've been thinking about this because I knew you were going to ask that question. I haven't listened to you, um, you know, the, the work that you do. And it's so tempting to start and talk about someone like a Coca-Cola or whatever, but I would rather talk about a, a lesser known organization um, called Vanarama. And Vanarama or are a, a company in the um, based in the UK, and they do van leasing. So you know, in the UK, it's very popular. Perhaps less popular in other places around the world. But this idea of being able to get a new van, being able to lease it, and they take care of everything for you, like a concierge service to make sure it all happens. And I've been working with them now for five years, and. And they tell stories over and over again, particularly to the staff, about the values of the business and what that looks like and what it feels like and, and where they started. And they now they're in a fantastic new building, a beautiful new build. They've got this amazing setup. It's really funky when you go in. But all of the rooms are named after parts of the business when it first started. So they, they have um, one of the, the meeting rooms is called Iron Maiden. And I said, oh, is that to do with the band, the Iron Maiden? They said, no, it was the outside toilet that we had <laughs> when we first started our business because our office was a porter cabin and we had the Iron Maiden outside. And, you know, when we used to say to each other when there was four or five of us working there, I'm just popping to see the Iron Maiden. And now it's their big conference room. So it's that type of thing which I think is really important to, to remind people about, you know, as an organization, what their values were when they first started, when they only had, you know, four or five of them. And now they've got 250 staff. They're in one of the fastest growing, um, uh, they, they are one of the fastest growing companies in the UK, you know, in the Sunday Times top 50 list for that. Uh, they're going to, they'll be floating in a few years time. They're going to do some amazing things, but they will never forget how to tell those important stories about where they started. And do you think that the story for an organization, the foundational story is one that should be repeated or is it that businesses can change their story as they grow and change and things of that nature? I mean, I think the answer is a bit of both. You know, the, the people, I mean, I'll tell certain stories um, certain when I'm doing a keynote, for example, and it's because people really get a lot out of that particular story. Now, the temptation, because I've told it so many times, might be, oh, I'll drop that and do something else. But that doesn't benefit my audience. If somebody comes to work at an organization like Vanarama and they start to, um, you know, on their first day, their chief exec, Andy Alderson, is going to tell the story of the business and how it, how it began. And he's not going to change that because he doesn't need to. It's perfect. It's a great, great example of entrepreneurial spirit and about making a big difference. So I, I, there's, there's no need to do that. However, at the same time, things do change. You know, technology changes, people's expectations change, younger people have a short retention span. So you do have to hone it a little bit. Yeah. So we always have to have our origin story, but then we build from that. Yeah, definitely. Well, now, speaking of that, we'd love to hear you. I've heard you tell 
a, a variety of different stories, and I'd love you to tell us a story of when you or someone you know connected the dots, hence the title of the podcast. Yeah, so this is when I first start to do what I do. And do you know, you ever have one of those moments in your life when you meet somebody and your life just completely changes because of that moment? I think we all have that. And it, it happened to me. That's when I met you. <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it, it happened for me when I was um, 22 years old. I've been working for my father for six and a half years. I left school when I was 15 and a half years old, started to work for my dad. And I thought I was going to just be part of this family business all of my life. But I was a youth um, worker as a volunteer. I used to do some bits of youth work on weekends and evenings and stuff like that. And one day this guy, um, Alan Percival, who was the field officer for the, the north of England of this youth organization that I was doing the volunteering for, he said, Michael, I think that I want to do something really, really big in the Northeast next year, and I would like you to help me. I was like, oh, wow, what is it? And at that time, they used to do a thing in the UK called the National Garden Festival, where they would take an area of land that was really run down. It was scrap land. There was disused factories, that type of thing. And they would create these amazing gardens and have a big festival that would last for five months. And this amazing guy, Alan Purcell, said, come with me to a meeting and we're going to see if we can get involved. And we went to meet with the National Garden Festival people. And he, um, we went from department to department to department. And Alan didn't give up. Not for a second did he give up. Every time somebody said, oh, you're not in the right place. You should be talking to the retail. Or, oh, you're a charity. You should be going over there. You should be doing this. And after a whole day of meeting different people and getting nowhere, Alan was still smiling. And I was like, well, you know, you seem really positive about this. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, well, we've met six different people now. And we know six ways not to do things. But I've learned something from every single department. And he says, one of the things I've learned is that they need help. They seem to be very disorganized. And that's going to be a big thing for us. And, and, I, and see in the next meeting, it's going to happen. So sure enough, we go into the next meeting. And somebody said, look, you really need to be involved with the charity center. And Alan was like, yeah, somebody else said that. Who do we talk to about the charity center? And they said, well, we don't have anybody to run it. And Alan just looked him straight in the eye and said, you do now. We'll run the charity involvement for the National Garden Festival. And my jaw dropped because we had no experience whatsoever of doing anything like this. So um, they were like, oh, that's great. That's amazing. Well, let's get together next week and we'll sign up the deal and we'll do it. And I walked out the door with Alan and I looked at him and I said, how are we good? How's this going to happen? Who's going to do it? And he looked me in the eye and he said, you are. I said, but I, I'm, I'm a roofer. I put roofs on. He went, not anymore. I think you should ask your dad for a year off. And I think you can run the charity center. And you know, that did several things, Jeffrey. First of all, somebody to, to have the faith in me, a young lad at that time, to look me in the eye and say, you can organize it. Secondly, to have thought ahead about, you know what, if we do get this, that's why Michael's there. Later on, he told me I invited you because I could never do it. I wanted, I wanted you to be involved. And the, and the third thing, just to be able to turn a situation that looked really quite negative and turn it into a great positive. So I asked my dad, I said, look, I need to, um, if, if you don't mind, I'd like to take a year out and to go and do this. He looked me in the eye and he said, you'll never come back. And I went, I will, I will. Mm -hmm. I never did, of course. But that was when my life changed because I met lots of great charities. I learned about fundraising. I became a fundraiser myself. 
I started to do big gift fundraising for a community foundation. And one day I met a guy called David Brown. And he's the man who invented the Caterpillar. You know, those big split axle trucks that you see in quarries, that type of thing. And I met David Brown and um, I asked him, you know, what, what he was interested in, what he wanted to do, his charitable giving, all that type of stuff. And I spent about an hour and a half asking this guy questions. I wanted to know everything about him. And then, of course, I asked the big question, can I have a donation? Went, yeah, how much do you want? Told him how much, and he said, yeah, I can do that. So I got a, um, a £250,000 donation, which wow. when, you're a, when you're a fundraiser, it's called a, called a good day's work. <laughs> um, and then I started asking him more questions. And then after a little while, he said, stop. I want to ask you something. I was like, yeah, going. Go on, tell me, tell me what it is. What do you want to know? And I thought he was going to ask me about the charity. And instead he said, tell me, what are you doing right now for your own personal development? And that was a great question because I had no idea what personal development was. I didn't even understand the term. I said, well, I don't, I don't know what you mean. Ask me another question. He said, okay, what was the last book that you read? What was the last course that you went on that you paid for? And he explained about personal development and what it meant. And from that moment, my life absolutely changed again for a second time. So I met Alan Percival and my life changed. And I met David Brown. My life changed because I started to read personal development books. And then the third time when I, I met a person and my life changed, it was an amazing guy called Professor John Macbeth. And I'd started to teach personal development programs to, to young people. And then after that, I got a chance to teach personal development programs to teachers. And once you've taught teachers, you can teach anybody. Mm-hmm. And, um, and John at that time was um, head of quality in education at the University of Strathclyde. He went on to be chair of educational leadership at um, Cambridge University. He's, this guy's got a brain the size of a planet. He's extraordinary. And he said to me, um, he watched me do a presentation. He said, Michael, you're a really great presenter, but you have a problem. And I was like, okay, what's, what's the problem? He said, the problem is this. You're trying to teach people everything you know. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's what I want to do. And he went, no, no, you don't. It's like an iceberg. You teach the tip of the iceberg, but you know everything that's under the surface. And he said, you need to understand technically why things work. You need to understand the science behind why positive language makes a difference. You need to understand the thinking behind these concepts that you're teaching. And so he gave me these, like there were white papers and there were scientific papers and all sorts of stuff. And I started to learn why what I do works. And that made a massive difference. And then interestingly, Uh, A little while later, um, I got a chance to tell Alan Percival, the guy who started the whole journey, about what John Macbeth had done. And then the the very same day, I saw John Macbeth and I was able to tell him about the journey and about where that started with Alan Percival. And the whole thing, as you know, with these things, just all connected together. Awesome. You've been able to help with that mission of trying to positively influence people uh, with all the work that you've been doing, which is incredible. Well, you know, it's interesting when you mentioned that at the start there about positively influencing a million lives. We hit that target a couple of years ago now. And, and, and uh, yeah, thank you. And it was, it was over half of it was through to books that were sold. Then we had another batch on audios. And, and then we did, you know, I think close to half a million people with live audiences around the world. And a lot of people were saying, well, what are you going to do next? Is it going to be 10, 10 million people or, or whatever? And I thought, you know what's better than that? 
why don't I just make a positive impact on every person I connect with? And and it's it's suddenly it's not about a number, it's about individuals, it's about people. So rather than me, you know, we get an opportunity to go and do a presentation, my first question used to be, how many people are going to be there? Is it a big audience? Oh, yeah, there should be 2,000. Yeah, I want to do it. Um, oh, no, there's going to be 20 people there. Yeah, well, okay, well, well, we'll think about it and we'll come back to you. And kind of thinking, is there a better offer on that day? When I look back at that, now that's a terrible thing to do, you know? So now it's like, you know what? When there's two people, when there's 2,000, it doesn't matter. I want to make a positive impact on every single person who I meet. That's inspiring. It's fun. <laughs> Keeps you sharp. <laughs> That's even better. I'm all about the fun. Thank you, first of all, for sharing the story, for sharing your time. Uh, I want to. I learned something from a friend of mine named Jeff Gibbard, who has a podcast called Shareable. That's quite uh, awesome. And one of the things he does at the end is he he says, you, you know, I've asked you these questions and you've given your time, but I want to give you the opportunity. So I, I think it's something I would like to to emulate. Is there anything in terms of the audience that you want that's either you're promoting, your latest book, or how you can help others be influenced? What's the best way for someone to learn more about Michael Heppel or about the work that you do? Oh, well, that's, first of all, it's very kind of you to, to give me the chance to do that. So thank you for that. You know, michaelheppel.com, H-E-P-P-E-L-L. It's not an E-L or an L-E. It's an E-L-L. I'm the funny Heppel um, at, at the end. michaelheppel.com. You can go there. And we do something called 90 Days of Brilliance. And what we do is we, we show people just a way to start and be more brilliant on important areas of your life. So whether it's being a brilliant parent or being a brilliant friend or being a brilliant manager or leader or brilliant at your work, we've got a whole program that allows people to do that. So that's, that's a great place to start. Um, or Twitter's always good fun. You know, I enjoy tweeting and enjoy having a little look uh, at what's happening there. Um, and the books, well, Hey, they're, they're available, I used to say, from all good bookshops, but the way things were, and now I usually say they're available at all remaining bookshops <laughs> <laughs> or Amazon. And Amazon, of course, that's uh, where most people are getting stuff from. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff out There's a lot of stuff out there. And lots of different languages now as well. You know, the um, I think we're actually, I think you said 22 languages at the start. I think we're up to 27 now, which is extraordinary because... When I wrote my first book, if my mum and two other people had bought that book, I would have been absolutely delighted. And the fact that, then. yeah, the fact that we've done a few more since then, and twenty-seven different languages and eighty countries they're available in is quite something. Well, you've been brilliant. Uh, again, thank you for that. And for I'll put in the notes those different the book links and things so people can access them. Uh, I really appreciate your time and want to thank you for helping us connect the dots. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and found it of value. I would super appreciate if you would subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It would be amazing if you could leave a review, comment, and share. Share and show you care. Check out Nine Dots Podcast for more great episodes. Remember, story matters. Thanks again for helping me connect the dots.